Hey, Hello, Mike. Julian. How are you doing? Hey, well, why, why are you wearing your flat hat and tweed jacket? What's all that about? We've got none other than Julian Norton, the Yorkshire vet. Let's get it. Oh, you better get dressed. Better put your flat cap on. Put your flat cap on. Great. Let's get him in. Is Julian Norton, the Yorkshire vet. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Let's get him in. Great. Great. Here we go. Yep. Brilliant. He's there. What, a, what an entry. And, That's fantastic. And, and enter stage left, Julian Norton. Hello, Julian. <laughs> I just wanted to get my charger because I don't want to run out of batteries. That's a good idea. Good, idea. good to meet you, Julian. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's quite exciting. I've not done a veterinary podcast quite quite like this. I suspect it's going to be well, so. Well, not not many people have. It's sort of it's sort of out there and a, and, and a bit avant garde and all that. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Do you have to go through all of that rigmarole with the with the TV series? Well, yeah, it's, it's it's a different world, really. Quite an interesting. You, it's a different. You, you enjoy it, do you? Um, yeah. I, about seventy-five percent of the time, it's, it's good, and it's a nice thing to be doing, and it's it's nice to be able to share what we do with you know with, with anybody who wants to watch. So yesterday, you know, I did a operated on a cat with pyometra, and it was a massive uterus, nearly a kilo, and a little cat full of pus, and it was amazing for me to watch the nurses to watch and the the cat to be cured, and the owner to have a cat that's mended. And when there's a camera there and you're all talking about the amazingness of this thing, you know full well that in six months' time, whenever the next series is out, there'll be two million people at home, maybe people on Gogglebox who also get to watch that same thing. And it's an amazing feeling that you can share what you do with you know, millions of people who'll be sitting on their sofa and getting part of that same experience. And, and that's something that is it's really powerful and it's quite humbling to think that just doing your mm. normal work will will have an impact upon normal people in there on their sofas on a Tuesday night so that that's amazing but equally there's times when it's hard I mean there's a lot of pressure for for content and for stories and it gets in the way a little bit and it, it can be quite demanding it's a bit less so now but there's been times where it's felt I felt very pressured and there's a lot of responsibility to keep this popular thing going but on the whole yeah 75 percent of the time it's, it's good 25 percent of the time it's 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 a pain in the neck and i wish i i wish i could go back to being norm, normal again yeah, we, 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 we can relate to that julian because obviously <laughs> with, um, with veterinary ramblings you know it's quite humbling to be able to sit here and and chat about life and stuff with you knowing that we're going out to how many how many was it the last count julian Oh, uh, well, you said two million, didn't you, North? We had, uh, I think we had three. Yeah. Three. Uh, Downloads yeah. last week was, was was three, yeah. Three, three downloads. Yeah. That's three lives that have been touched and enhanced and, um, <laughs> and, and you've brought joy to three people. Better than bringing joy and happiness and, and amusement to no people. It's quite good, isn't it? It's an interesting, yeah. an interesting sort of platform. I've done a, I've not done any for a while, but... Um, I've done some podcasts uh, under the title "The Naked Vet" with a, a friend of mine who's a, a performance poet, and it's yeah, it's it's quite entertaining. It's I think two people just chatting and having a bit of a laugh, and yeah. especially with, with three people, it, there's a bit more banter as well. Yeah. So I think there's yeah, there's a place for it. Speaking about the naked vet, can, can I take this gear off now, Julian? Yeah, 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 this, yeah, this, this, this hat's a bit hot as well. No, <laughs> leave the hat on. Just we, 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 we wanted to make you feel welcome. That was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was all it was. It was just. <laughs> it's just all, all too itchy, you know. We, we thought, well, you know, the, the Yorkshire vet. Yeah. We better put a flat cap on and and. Uh, I used it down your trousers. I used to wear a flat cap all the time when I first started as a vet, and it was my grandfather's flat cap, and he was a, an amazing guy who was probably one of the, the the first people really to get me interested in. Animals and we kept pigs and and uh, had a small holding. And wh- when he when he died, uh, when I was a little kid, I, I sort of inherited his collection of flat caps and and I used to wear them. Mm. Kind of concept. When I was a little kid, I, you know, Kess, the, the film about the little lad who has the kestrel. Oh yeah, a little yeah. Bit like that. I was this sort of a bit kind of 
like a Yorkshire urchin and I used to wear a flat cap and have ferrets and go down to the Greyhound track. And, um, and, and yeah, and I kept that flat cap all the way through university and into my first job mm -hmm. as a vet. I, I, used to, I used to wear the flat cap when I was a, a mixed practice vet. I used to wear it out on the farm. Yeah. Um, thinking, you know, it might have a bit of credibility. But actually, I, <laughs> yeah. I love it. They're, they're great hats. They stay on even in a strong wind. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say they stay on. They're remarkably warm, aren't they? Um, yeah. Don't cover up your ears so you can still hear things. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. versatile yeah. pieces of equipment. They're, they're very, they're very okay. useful. Although they've been taken over from Yorkshire now, haven't they? Because there's a whole group of guys on the television who, who <laughs> talk like this, and they wear flat caps, don't they? With a red, yeah. The Peaky Blinders. Peaky Can Blinders. You, really oh, you wear it back to front like that. Uh, sometimes. Uh, that looks like Eminem, yeah. but uh, <laughs> uh, Frank Spencer, or, or, or you can wear them. <laughs> Frank, Frank, Frank Spencer, mm, Betty. Oh gosh, he uh, he died of death, didn't he? Really, Michael yeah. Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a brilliant stuntman, wasn't he? He used to do all his own stunts. Yeah, it was one of the very early episodes of of the Yorkshire Vet. Um, I, I was. I was, it was, they were trying to do something lighthearted about what we do in our spare time away from work. And at the time, I was training to do a ski mountaineering race across the Swiss Alps called the Patrol de Glacier. And it goes from Zermatt to Verbier across mm -hmm. all up and down mountains and stuff. And to train in, in Yorkshire, there's obviously no snowy mountains. So I, I got these roller skis and I was practicing every spare moment on these roller skis on the quiet roads of Yorkshire where no one would see me. And you had mm -hmm. to have a road that was, the right flatness because if any kind of incline and you'd either not go forwards or you'd go forwards really really fast and out of control because they've got no brakes and then <laughs> and so one of my friends who was a camera person for the Yorkshire Bear said oh you know Julie can we you know you know what can we do we want to do something kind of a bit comical what you might do when you're not at work and it was they came to filming going down this bumpy road in the middle of the North Yorkshire Moors and what I didn't realise was when I bought these <laughs> long skis, um, I'd got the wrong bindings for the skis, which meant it was almost impossible to ski on. I didn't realise that. I've never done it before. And it was just like Frank Spencer on that episode where he was on his roller skates and he went... And he grabs the bike. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. the bus, yeah. right, grabs the bus. Yeah. And, then, and he goes under, under a lorry and it was just like that. And I was thinking... And I'd been making a point of going specifically to quiet roads where no one could see me and the next thing I knew <laughs> the camera pointing at me and it ended up in I mean you know episode three of series four or whatever <laughs> on national and it still persists actually there's a little um there's a rolling bt clip in the world of james herrick museum in thirsk and the, mm. one, the, the little clip they chose to show over and over again on a loop to visitors to thirsk who want to experience the veterinary <laughs> Um, <laughs> was me on these ridiculous roller skis looking like Frank Spencer. Luckily, I didn't have a my flat cap on backwards on that. Uh, oh, good. So, good. so <laughs> do, you, do you still do your own stunts on the show then? <laughs> it's all me. It's all me. Yeah. yeah. We had, um, I was supposed to be seeing a pig the other day. It got abandoned because the cameraman went to see the pig in advance. He needed his feet cutting or trimming like a sort of pet pig. And as I'm on my way there, the, the camera guy had gone there in advance to prepare and get... Anyway, the the pig had attacked him and charged at him and, and taken a big gouge out of the inside of his thigh. Um, so, yeah, it is, as you'll know, it can be quite dangerous. And, uh, and, and it does sometimes feel like we're doing stunts, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It does, it does. I remember going back to the practice one night uh, when I was on call, having just seen a horse that, that, that had a nasty gash on its, uh, on its leg, uh, which I sutured, and then went back to the practice to suture my own leg. Because <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. It, as it raised its foot towards me, a, a loose nail just unzipped my uh, my shin. <laughs> the the yeah. nurse came into the practice, and I was there with my, my leg up on the uh, on the operating table. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And how was it? Did you manage it okay? Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. I, I did a little, uh, little nerve block, obviously. Um, Nice. Uh, these days you wouldn't be allowed to, but probably weren't then. It's, it's the statutes. <laughs> I reckon you can do 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 what you want on yourself, can you not? Uh, I did try and sue myself, but it was unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
yeah. surgical trespass. So tell me, Julian, on the show, the Yorkshire Vet, you mm-hmm. rock up to 3am farm emergencies. Yeah. How did the camera crew get there? That's a good question. So, so when I'm on call, they the camera team get very excited and they say, oh, great, Julian's on call. We'd better hang around in case uh, an exciting carving um, happens or there's something that's, you know, a, a great amount of excitement. So they, they usually stay very nearby where I, to where I live in a, a, a bed and breakfast or a hotel or something. So at two o'clock in the morning, when the farmer phones up and says my sheep's lambing or my cow's got a prolapse, I then very quickly phone up the camera people and say, Laura, I'm really sorry. I know you're really tired, but great news. We've got an emergency. Um, I'll pick you up in five minutes. So mm-hmm. I jump out of bed, as you do, fumble around, find you know your clothes and everything else that you need. And they're doing the same, but then they've, they've got to get the, the camera organised and everything. Yeah. Mm. So I then usually drive past where they're staying, which is usually usually a couple of minutes from from uh, from our house. Pick them up, and there'll be a camera person holding the camera, and there'll be a sound person holding the the boom. Yeah. And getting all the other documents and and you know permissions and and yeah. all that sort of stuff organised. So I pick them, up, bundle them into the car, and off we go. And then turn. And sometimes I have to say to the farmer when I phone him up and say, "So it really is, really is lambing. You definitely want me to come." And they say, "Yeah, I definitely want me to come." And then sometimes I say, "Is it okay if I bring the camera team? They're staying nearby. They'd love to come and and see what you know what action." goes on on your farm at two o'clock in the morning sometimes i don't sometimes i wing it and hope that we we can because what happens then is if they say oh no they can bugger off i don't want anything like that that's the end of that of course worth sometimes living a little bit open and taking a gamble that when i turn up with two attractive young women sitting next to me in the car or in the passenger seat or in the boot in not in the boot in the in the back seat <laughs> you can keep attractive women in your boot <laughs> um, uh, are the police aware of this <laughs> well it's well is in uh, drugs uh, not not <laughs> drugs obviously yeah, so, so can we cla- so can we clarify for listeners and, and viewers you don't keep attractive young women in your boot you keep your well is in the boot no back well is in the boot farm with two attractive women in the car Mm. Yeah, one who's got a camera, the other who's got a boom. Okay, right. Um, right. Sound boom. Uh, okay. And um, and so what happened once was exactly this. It was freezing cold, middle of the night, and the farmer said, oh, I've got a heifer calving. It's going to be really bad. Um, can you come and help? And I I just kind of took the punt that we could persuade him to film it. Because, of course, if farmers don't want to be filmed, and if, you know, pet owners don't want to be filmed, we haven't got a story to make. We haven't got a program. No. So it's yeah. vital that we get their consent. It's just you sitting down telling anecdotes then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You should have seen the one I did yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah, it's a podcast like this. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Which gets three, three viewers rather than two million. So it's yeah. really crucial to, to get it right. It, it's easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one occasion, and so I found up Laura and Natasha and said, I'm really sorry, but could be really good. It's up at the high buildings. It's blowing a gale. It was freezing cold really sort of traditional old farm and pick them up and they were in like about 10 layers of clothing and could, you know like um, medieval knights getting on a horse they can't kind of move and yeah. both sort of waddling towards the car <laughs> and sort of into the respective seats and got there middle of the night blowing a gale like a bit of kind of blizzardy cause in the air there's this heifer struggling to cab oh you know is it all right if you know we film it? Oh, don't know about that. Don't know about that. Not keen on that for an idea. And and luckily, eyelashes were were, were fluttered and um, and we managed to film it. And it made a you know really brilliant story because it was yeah. in, in the middle in the middle of the night. But that that's how it happens, yeah. And and some so the current chap who's my kind of camera, cameraman lives in um, not a million miles away. So, so a lot of the clients would be halfway between where I live and where he lives. So I'd phone him up and say, Ross, I've got a cow to carve. If it's a Sunday night or whatever, can you come to this place? And he'd say, yeah, give me the postcode and, and we'd meet there. So mm-hmm. 
it is a logistical problem and one that needs to be solved in a very you know short space of time. But it's another because yes. you can't you can't leave uh, the, the, the the patient waiting too long, can you? Exactly. Yeah. So so the, the, so the the veterinary element is always the priority, and that always takes precedent. And and the camera people in the production company are very aware that you know we can't do anything different. Mm. You know we've got to do the veterinary yeah. angle first. But if it's something that you know that that might you know wait for couple of minutes and you know any emergency depends where the vet is whether he's doing something else how far he is from the farm or, or she is from the farm you're not going to be there within two minutes there's going to be a bit of a, a lag and if we can facilitate you know a man with a camera or you know whatever it, you know it makes it can make some good good stories but there's lots of hurdles to to get past to get that story into an episode uh one mm-hmm. of having the 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 camera there at the right time, and the next is is permission and consent, which isn't isn't a, a given. And then it needs to have needs to go to vaguely to plan. Um, it doesn't always work if I totally balls up the procedure. So do you do you have do you have the right to sort of say, okay, enough guys, this isn't going the way I want it to go. I need to concentrate on what I'm going to do, otherwise we're going to lose everything here. Do you mind not showing us? Have you got the how how is your contract with regards to that? Yeah, I mean they're they're very good. Um, uh, all the, the 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 PD is a word for a camera person, producer, director. They're very very good and they're very sympathetic. Mm. And if there's something that is you know not going to plan or you know say it's a carving and the I don't know, the calf's dead and it, it needs I don't know an embryotomy or something that's that's not really palatable as it were then that there's there's a sort of mutual agreement that this isn't going to happen sometimes the farmer says no or the owner says no i'd rather not do do that and sometimes i say look guys this isn't right let's just cut it and and if they persist in filming which they rarely do i just start swearing and going blah 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 and going like this and going like this and then they, <laughs> so, so then they can't do it anyway <laughs> use it anyway so 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 ultimately <laughs> I, I can kibosh kibosh it if i want yeah. uh, but you know we've got cracky we've been doing it now for six years and we've got a pretty good a good relationship with with everybody and seeing everybody's interests no, nobody's mm. out to portray anybody as being you know you know whatever i mean it's sometimes an issue if if we've got i mean operating on a dog tomorrow with a big lump that needs to be removed and, the, and that's going to be filmed the owner's happy to, to film that and you have to be you have to be careful that there isn't a perception from a viewer you know why has this owner left this lump so long before yeah. it's been dealt yeah. with it's um, you can't uh, portray the owners in a, in a bad or negligent light yeah uh, not 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 only for um for, for the sake of of uh, humanity and compassion but i guess for, for legal reasons you don't want anyone uh, suing the, the program for uh, for defamation i suppose yeah i mean i, I don't think that the the you know there's, there's never been anything that's been that's been that's been like that it's all very you know balanced and sensible and you know it's, it, it it's True to life. It's very true to life. Nothing that happens has been made up. Of course, when things are edited together and when there's a voiceover that explains the problem, that can be, you know, emphasising lots of different um, kind of directions. And it's, it's always done in a very sort of sympathetic way. It's, you know, it's a warm programme. It's, a, you know, it's celebrating, you know, happiness and nice things. It's not a you know, it's not an expose on owners who don't take the dog to the vet because they're worried that it's going to be too no, expensive. It's just a, a good bit of, uh, of life drama and uh, yeah. Yeah, there are yeah, emotional yeah. issues, aren't there? I've seen a few episodes and it, it really does bring out the, the, the emotions of the owners quite well. Mm. It does, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's really one of the things that's been interesting for, for me about the whole experience is it, it's because I think when, you, when you're a vet, you get very focused on you know, the clinical situation and making the diagnosis and working out the treatment plan. And you're obviously very aware of the owner's, you know, situation, but your sort of focus is on making the diagnosis and fixing the patients. And it's really sort of opened my eyes as to the 
the other angle of it, the, the, the person behind the pet and how they might be feeling. And when you're in a consultation, for example, and you, you've examined the, the cat, dog, rabbit, rat, tortoise, whatever, and then as I'm typing up my notes and the camera then goes to the owner and the, the question will be, you know, so what does, you know, Toby mean to you? And and I'm there sort of finishing off the table, wiping the table, whatever. And then it's not a question that we ever really ask or to, to anybody. And it's not something that really we, we probably think about. Um, and then to, 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 when faced with that very direct question, you know, what does your cat mean, mean to you? You know, are you worried about what might happen? And suddenly you get this real, because it's very honest, it's a very direct and honest question. You get this real outpouring of, of, of emotion almost. And it's been absolutely illuminating to me to see it sort of, it's like a highlighter pen highlighting that emotional connection that sometimes I think as busy vets, it, it's really, I think, reminded me how important that is. And, and you know, it's not just a conundrum to to work out and a you know a diagnosis to be made it's actually and it sounds a bit silly but when it, the first time I really realized this was series one we were filming a guy from a really sort of rough tough Yorkshire farmer um and he, he had a flat cap on as well um and <laughs> I was doing a fertility test on his on his bull um because he was worried not many of his heifers were, were pregnant and we'd done this fertility test and the semen was all fine. The, everything was moving and working as it should. But the problem was we could not get the bull to have a proper um, erection. His penis wouldn't come out properly. So after, you know, what seemed like hours of trying, we diagnosed this poor dog, bull as having a, a like a short penis, short penis syndrome where the penis doesn't come out. And um, and it was kind of a bit lighthearted, or I thought it was. and the, Izzy, who was the PD at the time, was was interviewing the farmer afterwards, and you know said, you know what's it, you know you must be quite upset, you know how do you feel your bull's not, and and this rough, tough, wizened, gnarly old farmer who'd always moan and grumble about vets and bills and all mm. the rest, of it. and he started crying. He said, you know I'm trying my best to make my herd better and improve it, and I bought this bull, hoping that it was going to be the way to bring the herd forward. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm trying my best, and all my aspirations are being dashed at every opportunity. And and then I thought, you know what? It's there's there's a human and yeah. behind yeah. every animal, even if it's a farm animal, really. And and it was it really opened my eyes as to as to the importance of that emotional connection. And it was something that you know, obviously, as vets, they were aware of. But I think it's sometimes easy to sort of. It pretend isn't as important. It's easy to get caught up, as you say, with the conundrum of this, isn't it? Yeah, do you know. Thinking what I mean? this is a case, not yeah. this is this is actually a part of someone's family in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's quite touching, actually. I think um, that's rather good. I mean, you mentioned their voiceovers, and the voiceover on the show uh, for for many many series was done by Christopher Timothy, was it not? Mm-hmm. Christopher Timothy, I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. The show is pretty much an up-to-date version of All Creatures Great and Small, that massive TV show, which was based on the James Herriot Bed books. Or or are you going to deny this? (laughs) No, no, it was, I mean, when when we were first approached to to make the series um, six, six and a bit years ago, the the remit was it was and this came from the controller of Channel Five. Um, uh, it, it was to be they wanted to make a program that was the modern version of James Herriot mm-hmm. um, and but, but the real life version. The real life version of a modern day James Herriot is is what they were after, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, bizarrely that's kind of what they got. Yeah, um, by I guess good fortune for them and. A bit of a wing and a prayer uh, from from us, um, but yeah, it's worked out. And the the funny thing, I find it really funny when we first started. It was, as you say, sort of following on from the James Herriot um, stories and the James Herriot way of of, of practicing. And then when they've made the 
the new James Herriot, um, All Creatures Great and Small remake, mm-hmm. um, which has also been on Channel 5. The first series of that, it followed on on a Tuesday night straight after our <laughs> programme. So it was it made me laugh because like we sort of existed <laughs> only because James Herriot had existed. And then the new version of James Herriot followed on from us. It was like the circle is like complete. It was it was really funny. That's um, well. That's fantastic. So, so Julian, you're running the show, the, the the Yorkshire Vet, which is unashamedly based on the BBC TV series All Creatures Great and Small, which was based on the James Herriot books, which of course were not pure fiction. They they were based on a real um, real life of a Yorkshire Vet. Um, James Herriot and the James Herriot books were very very inspirational to a lot of youngsters growing up who then wanted to become vets mm. now, the the part of James Herriot in the All Creatures Great and Small show was played by an actor called Christopher Timothy so let, let me ask you this please Julian when was it that you realized you wanted to be Christopher Timothy well I mean when I was a I mean I, I I don't know. Did I want to be Christopher Timothy? Did I want to be James Harriet? I, I watched the um, I watched those programs on a Sunday night uh, right. when I was a kid, seven eight years old. I can't remember exactly, and mm-hmm. I can bring back those memories with absolute clarity. And it was a Sunday evening, every Sunday evening, and there'd be me and my family, and my sister, mum and dad, my granny and grandpa who lived up the road who, who loved it because they were very much uh, animal people, and would sit there. With cups of tea, even as an eight-year-old, we'd have tea on a Sunday, and he'd be thinking, "Oh gosh, tea! I don't like that very much." Anyway, he's grown to love it, don't you? And and we, and we used to eat. Um, we used to have a pork pie sliced up into slices, and we'd have tongue sandwiches, which don't exist anymore, do we? Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I, I, I still get tongue. <laughs> and uh, and Mr. Kipling's fondant fancies was always for putting oh, it. Oh, now you're talking. Sit there with all these things. And the music came on, and that iconic kind of old fashioned cow, I don't know what it was, going down through the ford and water splashed everywhere. And it was, I mean, it brings, you know, ghost, goosebumps, doesn't it? The music and the. The, the, the music's going around my head. Yeah, really, uh, like, you speak you about it, it's great. It. And these great stories of of passionate people and interesting characters and beautiful scenery and fresh air and animals and you know weird Yorkshire farmers and mm-hmm. and and it just captivated me as as a great way to you know to to live and I loved the outdoors I loved the fresh air I loved animals I guess then as a seven or eight year old I thought that would be a great way to to spend my life and then you know you don't plan your career when you're seven or eight and I you know got to school and I struggled a bit to start with but I eventually found my feet and I, I thought eventually you know you're working out what career to do and I thought you know what it wouldn't be a bad thing to be a vet veterinary was you know the hardest thing to to get into at university and I just thought you know what I'm going to do that and then and then I did and then bizarrely when it so my first job was in the north of Scotland a, a practice in Caithness which by mm-hmm. Possibly coincidence, but possibly not. That is actually also on telly now as the Highland Vet, mm-hmm. um, also on Channel 5. Um, Gosh. And that was an amazing place to work. I worked as a locum there for about three months. And then my first full-time job was was in Thirst, um, following literally in the footsteps of, of, um, of James Harry. And I remember, and I, at that time, I didn't feel like I was particularly following in those footsteps because the practice didn't have any real strong connection with the Harriet thing. We were trying to almost distance ourselves from that heritage, uh, which is ironic now when you see... Because it was actually Alf Wright's practice, wasn't it? Yeah, Alf Wright was the... um, And Jim White. So Jim, when I started at the practice, Jim, who was Alf Wright's son, uh, was retiring or partly retiring to write a book, a biography of of his dad. And he mm. wanted some. I, sorry, I should just explain to to, to viewers and listeners mm. that uh, uh, Alf White was the the, the, the real name of uh, of James Herriot. So James Herriot wrote under this pseudonym. Uh, yeah. Jay, sorry, Alf White wrote under the pseudonym James Herriot. Yeah. Uh, but but Alf was a a local vet at at your practice. Uh, and and Secret Farnham was wasn't his real name either, was it? 
No, so he was uh, Siegfried uh, was the the fictitious name, but based on uh, uh, a very um, interesting guy called uh, Donald Sinclair, uh, mm-hmm. who was I think just as eccentric as Siegfried in, in the books and on the telly. He he's sort of owned the practice, and then when when Alf started, James Herrick started. I think after not too long, he sort of <clears throat> gave him a share of the practice on condition that he would basically work his socks off. And 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 that's how we how we got into it, and they ran it as a as a partnership from from, from then. So yeah, hmm. so it was it was interesting, really, and not particularly planned. I wanted to work in Yorkshire, and I wanted to do a mixed practice, and kind of all fell into place, really. But I remember when I first started, I used to, um, I guess you'll have done the same. I used to wear a brown coat for no yeah. particular reason. Uh, it was an impractical outfit for for a vet but that's what we used to wear i think isn't it? absolutely traditional wear you'd always have that yeah yeah uh, uh, and, and you and you still wear a shirt and tie don't you because i've moved over to the to the polo shirt i must admit it's the tie of, of recent years for no particular reason other than i don't know i felt it was a bit for, a bit formal somehow i've always felt it's important to be fairly smart as a vet but a lot of my kind of contemporaries were wearing things like polo shirts with logos mm. on or, or scrubs and, and things. And, and But, yeah, I've worn for the majority of my career a, a, a shirt and tie. Um, yeah, I, I did for the first five or six years after qualifying, and then I went into just small animal and uh, the practice I started at uh, as just a small animal vet mm. wore, wore polo shirts, so I wore those and never... Uh, n- never got to use my tie collection after that, really. Yeah, you wear scrubs um, now, don't you, Julian? I wear scrubs now. I mean, yeah. you're, you're appearing tonight in your scrubs. Absolutely, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I, I've been doing my I've been doing my part time job today, so I've actually got my uniform on. I noticed NHS. Have you have you been vaccinating? Yeah, I've been vaccinating today. So that was um, that was down at our local uh, local thing, sticking needles in people's arms. And how do you compare people compared to dogs, scruffs, or cows, rumps? Dog, right, okay. Well, if you're comparing to popping it into the dog scruff, where you draw the skin back over the needle, it's yeah. a little bit different. Um, it, it's quite good. It was, it's, um, you get the same reactions. Some, some don't know you've jabbed them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one, you, you, one patient, you're there saying a bit, little, little scratch, all done. Oh, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you had many bites? No, no, I haven't. Um, although I work in Portsmouth and Gosport, I haven't. <laughs> I've, I've avoided yeah. that. Um, I was kicked once. I vaccinated one of my clients last week. <laughs> and he said, he's not, I brought my dog to see you, didn't I? I said, yeah, that's right. Yes, it's my other job. And he said, uh, he said, is it very different? I said, well, the only thing is they don't let me take your temperature. <laughs> <laughs> So, Julian, what one question we've asked a lot of guests of late is: um, what what advice would you give to your eighteen year old self? <laughs> it's a good. I, I think if I was doing it again, I think in all honesty, I would make more out of my university time as a vet. I would definitely mm-hmm. be better again. Uh, no, no, no doubt about that. I've had a, a fantastic career. It's been very full. Um, I've experienced lots of things that have been really exactly what I wanted, I think, my veterinary career to be. I've, I've challenged myself. I've made a big difference to a lot of people's lives and, and, and animals' lives. I've, I've been out in the fresh air. I've, I've woken up every morning, nearly every morning, thinking, great, I'm going to work again today. And, you know, it's not all been, you know, plain sailing, but, but for the most part, I, I would definitely do this again whether i would do it again like now going into the current profession i think it's a different playing field altogether now to how it was 25 years ago when i started but i i if i could do it again from you know from an 18 year old i would i'd probably try and make a bit more out of my university career and i don't mean that i didn't i at the time i felt i was maximizing it but I, I probably, if I'm honest, spent a bit too much time in the pub. You know, every day was full to the brim with things when I was mm-hmm. at university, but it was jam-packed with 
time in the bar and time socializing. And I kind of think that, you know, I only discovered uh, two days ago that I was at university at the same time as Sasha Baron Cohen, for example. Um, oh, really? Um, yeah. And Emily Maitley's from Newsnight and Claudia Winkleman and, and Claire Balding and lots of really significant people that I I think I once met Claudia Winkleman at a party, but obviously didn't mean anything. Mm. You know, she was just a, a person there. But I think probably it was an amazing time that I could have probably made a bit more constructive use of rather than just having an excellent time. And so I did loads of stuff at university. I did a lot of, <laughs> a lot, you know, learn how to become a vet. You know, in the end, the final three years, I won loads of prizes. I worked really hard and, you know, all the, all the you know things that in fact one of them's here can i just show you this because this this is on the the, i don't normally see this but this is my final prize um that's a great there's a a model of a frisian cow fantastic i've not cleaned it there's a a little plaque there i can't even see what it says but it was basically the intervet prize i think it says it was for like for the the student of the year which the the staff voted for so you know in the end i worked worked out and, and did well and achieved things that I, were I were, got student of the year as well when I was there I, uh, last year of vet school that was by um, John Bower wasn't it yeah, uh, there was two there was the John Bower one and the, that was I think that was Intervet that was Intervet right. might have been the same but there was two one voted for by the vet school and another voted for by your peers so I can't remember which was which. Yeah, uh, the John Bauer one was was uh, basically by, by your peers, and I was I was thrilled and humbled to 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 have been awarded that. Uh, didn't get a plastic cow though. I must admit, I would like that. Plastic is made so, of the China or plastic. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Uh, oh God, I ruined it. <laughs> Julian, it's, it looks jolly nice. It, I, I apologise. I apologise to my partner in crime, Julian. I'm sorry. Honestly, let's, let's move to safer to safer ground here. Actually, <laughs> let's let's move to less safe ground. You see, that you wouldn't necessarily tell your eighteen-year-old self to, to go into the profession as it is now and becoming now. What um, it is changing, isn't it? The profession is changing. What what are the what are the good bits and what are the bad bits? I think I, I'm not a massive fan of the change of structure towards a corporate kind of takeover. We've been sort of hearing the the sort of, you know, from the, the football that's happened today, the, the sort of Super League kind of thing that the fans have kind of vetoed almost with, with their feet. And I see that's a similar kind of thing to the corporatization of the veterinary world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not all bad. I'm sure that kind of structural change does bring bring benefits to to the profession in some ways but i feel that a veterinary practice works best if the people who own it are there and coming in and doing the clinics and answering the phone and wiping the tables and mm-hmm. doing the work rather than being based in geneva or america or watford or, or wherever and i can't help thinking that that is sucking a bit of the juice vitality love out of the profession the, the profession I, I think i agree with you i think the profession is becoming less personal yeah yeah it? that's to its detriment i sort of spoke to someone today who'd had been for a second opinion because his dog his labrador was lame and he had some x-rays and the x-rays had gone off to a referral center for a, and they'd said oh we need to do a ct scan came to see me for a second opinion with and we'd done various things and again done some more x-rays and examined the dog in a bit more you know a bit more thoroughly and really just wanted to talk to someone and he wanted hmm. to spend half an hour with his dog feeling his legs and talking to him and saying well you know the pros and cons of it and I think it's very easy to kind of you know see a dog that's lame the next question is is it insured and then the next question is you know, well, it's going to be, or the next statement is it's going to be £6,000 to have a TPLO. And, yeah, you know, it might be brilliant, but it's not necessarily for everyone. And I think you need to have a discussion rather than follow a flowchart. Yeah. We we need to be finding out what the client wants. Do they want a dog that that 
can compete in the Olympics afterwards, or they want a dog that, that approaching perhaps the later part of his life is is happy plodding, and they're yeah. happy plodding with it, and yeah. and and actually that's all they may be able to afford. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. We, we don't give we don't give enough options, I think, to clients, do we? No, and I think we need to credit clients with, you know, I always say to students, you know, there's there's 10, 12, 15 different ways to manage every single case that comes through your the door of your consulting room. And there isn't one way that's the right way. And mm-hmm. I think at, at vet school, students come out of it. It's a tough time. They've got so much to learn, way more than we had to learn because, you know, when we were at vet school, there was probably only about five different conditions that affected every animal. Now there's 105. Um, and, then, and there are only four drugs to treat them with anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, and it's really hard. And, and I, I always tell students, look, don't feel compelled that every animal needs to fall into the same mold of this, that, that gold standard treatment, you know, MRI scan referral. There's lots of ways of managing every single case, and 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 for me, that being being a, a practitioner, the best thing is discussing that journey from, you know, dog comes through the door, work out what's wrong, discuss what to do, and make a plan. And 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 every case is different, and every owner is different, and everybody's circumstances are different. And I think that it's very easy and and, and wrong to go on a kind of Flow chart, dog lame, right hind, you know, have x rays, have an MRI scan, have a TPLO, yeah. mend it, £10,000 yeah. later, job done. And, and not really like that in my view. You need to, you know, get your hands on the dog, feel it, talk, listen, do some more listening, do some more talking, and, yeah. and get to a, a mutually agreed solution between the the animal, the owner, the vet, and and other people as well, you know, physios and and and, and referral people. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some brilliant vets out there who can do amazing things. But I think that it's it's not right to presume that every dog that comes in two fifths lame on its on its right hand needs to go through an MRI machine and come out with six thousand pounds of of metal work. Yeah. I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I always maintain that I don't treat a dog. I treat the dog owner unit. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. The, there's a dog, dogs and cats, uh, rabbits and everything like that. They don't necessarily exist as as patients in their own right. Mm. They're only our patients because they're they're owned and managed by someone. Yeah, exactly. What what yeah. other what other changes? I mean, we, we've we've spoken about corporate corporatization. Mm. Any other dangers to the profession or risks to the profession or worries or th- that you're going to warn your 18-year-old self about? <laughs> um, I think that, that there's a sort of assumption that the way to uh, aspire and, and progress yourself is to become more and more specialist. 25 years ago when I was leaving vet school, there was this sort of you know, mixed, general practice, mixed practice was still quite popular. But there was still this kind of feeling that aspiring to be an orthopedic surgeon or a an anesthesiologist or, or, or whatever um, was the way to go. And I think that that's even more so now. And, and I think that there's a great merit in, in generalism. It, it, I think it's a, a very fulfilling way of working if you can treat with with skill a dermatology case and then a cardiac case. And then a case that just really isn't really a case, but the owner just needs some reassurance. Mm. And I don't think that it's right to presume that good vets are only the vets who are highly qualified and highly specialised. Mm-hmm. And, and I do feel that that that's an assumption that's within the profession that to be good, you have to be have more letters after your name than anybody else, and you need to be the person who can do a TPLO in in thirty five minutes. I really think that there's a great, you know, merit in being a a good generalist, and, and I think that there's very much a kind of there's a bit of a, you know, you know, you're just a first opinion vet, or you're just a generalist, or that makes mm. somehow it, it it demeans the the knowledge, the empathy, the understanding, the mm. communication skills, and everything else that you have to have. 
as a generalist. Yeah, I mean, definitely specialists are, are, are brilliant, but in a way, it's kind of ten times easier because you've only got, you know, half a dozen bits to learn. I mean, being an ophthalmologist, I mean, that must be doddle eyes of like one thing that's that big. That <laughs> with. It must be easy. Absolutely. Um, How many things can you have in something that size? <laughs> Sorry to any ophthalmologists. <laughs> um, we, uh, we haven't had an ophthalmologist on yet, have we, Mike? No, we, we, must, uh, we must do that. I'll get David Williams, perhaps, to come yeah, 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 and yeah. counter-argue that, Julian. But, uh, yeah. Actually, no. that, that, he would give a good counter-argument to that. I think he would. I think I he know. would. But I, I was speaking to a GP, a human GP friend of mine the other day, so sorry to interrupt, who, who said just the same thing, that actually she feels sometimes that uh, the... That, that, more and more patients these days are going to see her just as as a stepping stone to referral. So they see her as as a necessary uh, obstacle uh, to to, yeah. to 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 get a referral through from. Yeah. Uh, and I think we are at risk as generalists of of, uh, of having the same thing happen to us. Yeah, yeah. And and I think in a way, you know. For in the veterinary world, you know, the, the dog can't say, you know what, it hurts there, and every time I swallow, it hurts there, and I feel fine until I have to, you oh. know, go to the toilet. They, they can't tell us, so we have to have a more holistic approach, and we have to get information from the owner, crucial information from the owner, and we have mm. to look at the dog as, as, a, as a total whole unit, um, the way it walks in, the way it looks, the way it's you know, head moves the way it wags its tail, and and I think it, it's almost for a vet more important to have a, a general view overview rather than just looking at one little bit. Probably even more so than with, with human medicine. So I really do think that we we should be embracing and celebrating generalism rather than specialism. And I feel that the profession, certainly mm. since I've been in it, has tended to go down the specialist route, which I, I don't feel is necessarily um the the best way no no it's very it's very clever and it's it's, it's it's a great show of of our knowledge our increasing resources but you're right it's not not for every case and i do i do worry occasionally that that we are increasing specialism even at the at the primary care phase yeah. uh, we see a lot of vets who come out from college very risk averse and very afraid to to do anything outside of an increasingly limited comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, I, I can I can see, particularly with, with the rise of corporatization, I, I can see uh, there being a time that, that um, someone goes to see a vet for a vaccine and says, oh, by the way, there's a lump on my dog. Can you have a look at that? Oh, well, no, I, I don't do lumps, um, but I can fit you in with a lump vet yeah. uh, after this. Mm. Uh, or, or they see the lump vet and say, uh, can you check, does he need a dental? Or oh, I can't assess dentals. I'll, I'll fit you in with the uh, dental, the oral assessment practitioner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we need to, um, as a profession, you know, do more things ourselves and not be frightened of, you know, pinning that cat's leg. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's knowing your limitations, isn't it? It's knowing that that actually you can you can do a procedure or you can't do a procedure. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. You, you sound, uh, uh, Julian, you, you sound saying, you, saying that, you know, know your procedures and knowing that you can do them, whether you can't. That sounds like a, a, a recipe for 60-second CPD to me. <laughs> it, it does rather, doesn't it? So would you be willing to do a 60-second CPD for it? I would be very willing to do a 60-second CPD as long as I can think of something to say in the next 15 seconds that will last for 60 seconds that will be of of, of merit to anybody. <laughs> I, I haven't started the clock yet, mate. Okay, you like say go. I think I'd like to talk about it. something I'm really passionate about is is engaging and encouraging and giving confidence to the younger members of the profession, particularly first day out. You've got your, I mean, MRCVS and all the other letters, and and it's day one. You walk into that vet for your first job and. For the first time in your life, you're standing under 
the wrong side of the consulting room table. Okay, so that sounds brilliant. So in that case, then great. Julian Norton, the Yorkshire vet. Thank you very much indeed. So Julian Norton, the Yorkshire vet. Sixty seconds on your first day of practice, starting now. Okay, so hello everybody, and particularly uh, new vets who are about to start work um, today. Uh, this might be some of you already. I've used 10 seconds. I've not given you any useful information. So first thing, look for clues. Um, vets need to look for clues. We get, we can't work anything out if we haven't got clues. So be a detective, ask the right questions and look for the answer to those questions. It's no point saying, you know, is your dog being sick? Yes. You need to know why it's being, how many times it's being sick. 10 times in the last um, half a day or 10 times in the last year. So be a detective. That's trick number one. Uh, trick number two, be confident. Um, this x-ray on my phone came from a colleague of mine from a few year, uh, uh, a few months ago, actually. She's fixed the cat's femur. Look at that. Um, she's not an orthopedic surgeon, but she can do anything. Uh, so be confident as well. Uh, look for clues and be confident. And the world's your oyster. And there you have it. Well, spot on. Seconds. That was with, with fifteen seconds preparation time. That's uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> well, well done. Excellent. Well done. Excellent. As, as they say in your neck of the woods, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> you know, I don't think you need a retake on that. To be honest, no, all right. It was a bit vague. I, I can. If anybody wants more detail, a more detailed um, uh, summary, maybe over five minutes. I, I'm happy to uh, uh, to to speak to people via. Instagram or um, email or, or whatever. So uh, please contact me if you want a more a more informative CPD over over a minute. So have you have you done a certificate for Julian? Julian, I have. I have. So we we give out a CPD certificate. Yeah. Uh, because this this actually counts as as CPD. Yeah. Um, now, because we can transfer these uh, these certificates to, to viewers and listeners uh, via email, they're the electronic certificates, and so it's a actually an e certificate but of course because you're the yorkshire vet it becomes an e certificate <laughs> e bar gum certificate, e certificate. Right. That, that'll do is it that'll, that'll do. do this certifies that the north has come southwards for knowledge exchange and there's not like learning and and this uh the, the, this selection of photos really just provides uh, a little snapshot of the fact that that you and i julian we are we are generalists yeah. Uh, I don't do large animals anymore, but um, you know, in, in the course of my time, I, I've treated all of these animals. We've got sheep and pigs and dogs, snakes. There's a there's a cat with a nosectomy. Yeah, and and, and cattle as well. Yeah, uh, and it really is as um, as the as the book says, it's all creatures, great and small, isn't it? We don't yeah. distinguish between large ones and small ones. We uh, we go for the the animal because the owner or carer has brought them in for our care. For yeah. Well, it's been a great ramble and a it's, great it's chat. A good, a good old ramble. It's sort of a yeah. Yorkshire Dales ramble, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been great fun. It's been well, great we fun. Do, um, veterinary rambling like this actually rambling out in the countryside. Would that be a spin-off series you might consider? Wow. Yeah, we're afraid to go out. We haven't been out for a year. I haven't <laughs> been out. Have you been out? My, other than to vaccine centres, no, the, the vaccine centre. I go to the vaccine centre. Yeah. yeah, but Julian, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah. Really appreciate it, sparing the time. Have you got a yeah. joke for us, Julian? I have. Go on then. I have. Uh, so I, I usually round off the evening with a with a pretty bad joke, um, and, and tonight's no exception. Uh, and this is this is in homage to uh, to, to your part of the country, mm. and it's, it's rather a uh, rather a sad story because there's this well-to-do Yorkshire businessman who, whose wife dies and he's um, he's devastated. Uh, he, he, she's she's his world to him and, and he wants to um, give her a good send-off and he thinks well the, the best thing to do is to get a nice headstone and he, he goes to the funeral parlor he says uh, could you direct me to your stone mason and they say yeah well actually yeah we, we've got one uh, out back does all our uh, masonry so Bring him, bring him through, I'll have a chat. And uh, this, this guy comes through and says, yes. He says, my wife's died. He says, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Says, well, 
Yeah, I think things have happened. I, I'd like a nice headstone with angels on it. And uh, she was she was a very devout woman. She was. She prayed every day. And I, I'd like uh, I'd like you to put something like that on, on the headstone. I want you to put, "She was thine, O Lord." He said, oh, "I'll do that for you while uh, while Tuesday week." He said, "It's a big ground because the uh, the funeral is on Thursday." So um, he goes along the, the, the following Tuesday and. Uh, and he looks at it and he says, so he says, no, no, God, you, you missed you missed the E out. It says, it says she was thin, oh Lord. <laughs> That's no good. You missed the E out. I'll tell me, sorry. I'll do it a couple of days. I'll do it. Well, you can't take a couple of days. The funeral's on Thursday. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. No problem at all. So um, come the day of the funeral, the, the uh, businessmen, the, the, they, they've had the, the ceremony and they're, they're outside by the uh, by the grave and um, uh, the, the businessman's head's bowed in gentle reflection, and he looks up at the gravestone there, proudly at the end of the, the grave, and it says, E, she were thin, oh Lord. <laughs> it, it's probably a true story. It's probably a true story. <laughs> There's loads of similar ones in them. Um... <laughs> Did you hear the one about the chap whose dog died? Same kind of thing. Took he went to to get a headstone um, for his dead dog. This this chap from Barnsley was from Barnsley, and mm-hmm. he went to the uh, champ said, "Look, my dog's died. He was my best mate. I'd like uh, a statue making of, of my dog to go on, you know, on his um, you know, on his, you know, where his, his grave, and I want it made out of solid gold. And I love this dog, and it was the best thing that ever was in my life." So I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no problem. What kind of gold do you want it? Um, I want it the best. 18 carat. Nay, lad, I, I want him chewing bone. There's loads of them. All mocking the Yorkshire, the Yorkshire dialect. Uh, you, you, can, you can always tell a Yorkshireman, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell him much. <laughs> That's, that's we were we were taught how to speak Yorkshire. The first day of college, uh, we had um, uh, a talk from one of the lecturers. He said, you're going to see people from different parts of the country, and you may not have seen them before. Uh, and so you know, we've issued a little, um, little translation sheet for you. Uh, and I can't remember all of them. It was a, it was a brilliant um, word. He said, tin, tin, tin. Tin, tin, tin. And the explanation was, it's not in the tin. Not in the tin, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Tin tin tin. Tin tin tin. All right. Well, on that note, on that on that, on that bombshell, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's quite amusing. I noticed you were drinking red wine there throughout the evening. There, yeah, it's gone now. That empty glass. Yeah, I need yeah. to get more. Yeah. Do, you, do you know how I tell the difference between red wine and white wine? Go on. The, I look at the colour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there you've we been, go. You've been thinking that all night, haven't you? <laughs> I, I wrote that one down before we started <laughs> and then, then you appeared with, with a glass of red wine oh, oh it's got to go in fantastic I like that one <laughs> yeah, yeah. no that, that's excellent stuff so listen Julian Norton the Yorkshire vet thank you very very much for, for joining us on uh, on Britain Ramblings and uh, if uh, any of our listeners have enjoyed in- meeting uh, Julian don't forget to check out the Yorkshire Vet TV series on Channel 5 yeah. and uh, and looking him up. And I'm sure you'll have a great time watching it. We've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed going through the research for it as well. So thank, uh, yeah. thank you very much indeed for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings. Uh, thanks for having me and, and good luck. Hope you get lots of uh, lots of uh, listeners. Julian, may, you, may your dog go with you. May your dog go <laughs> with you, Julian. Cheers. Cheers. All the best. I need to log the CPD. I'm trying to get onto my books. Plumbing CPD account, it won't work. It won't work. <laughs> the, the I, know, I mean, I mean, blocked you, blocked you out. No, I mean, I mean, no activities today. That's all going to change. <laughs> oh. <laughs> one hour and <laughs> going to put it down as Vet Ramblings podcast. Yeah, yeah why not? Absolutely, and, and reflective CP, reflective learning. And, yeah. and, and what's the activity type? What are the options? Uh, clinical skills lab, it's not that. Conference. Right. Course distance learning formal. It's not formal, is it? Distance learning other, distance learning webinar, external qualification, other, other, 
seminar, workshop, and that's it. I'd say other workshop. Yeah. 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 Workshop. Yeah. What would be amazing yeah. is if the RCVS actually came back to you. That, that would be just... There's no option for one hour and one minute. So I'm going to have to put one hour and kind of round up to 15 minutes. Yeah, one hour and 15. Yeah, Because well, you'll reflect on this later anyway, won't you? So. I'll be reflecting on this for weeks, let alone... <laughs> <laughs> Post-traumatic stress syndrome will kick in. And... 